From down under to down south, follow the adventures of an Australian family who packed up and moved to the other side of the world to follow a dream of making a life in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm your host, Aussie Mike, and together with Bicky, Bowie, and Bree Bree, we will share our daily craziness in an attempt to warn you or inspire you to make this transcontinental move. It's a big good day and welcome to another episode of Down Under to Down South. Aussie Mike here in the chair and on this week's episode we'll be taking a look at the unknown. This year has seen a spike in interest in the unexplained across the US, brought in part by the US House Committee on Oversight and Accountability meeting to hear explosive testimony about mysterious craft seen over decades that were beyond any known technological capabilities. The US has Area 51, the Bermuda Triangle, Roswell, etc. But why are the most famous UFO mysteries so American-centric? Movies probably have a lot to do with it. Independence Day, War of the Worlds, even the family-friendly E.T. However, Australia can really hold its own when it comes to close encounters of the third kind. With mass alien sightings, hotspots and abductions, we have our own fair share of stories to tell. So let's explore the UFO and alien culture in both Australia and the US, and I'll tell you a couple of stories of my own that may leave you wondering, are we alone? The US Oversight Committee met in July and heard eyewitness accounts by former US military personnel who said they've seen non-human entities doing very disturbing harm to humans. The hearing entitled Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena, Implications on National Security, Public Safety and Government Transparency, heard from Ryan Graves, who is the Executive Director of Americans for Safe Aerospace, Commander David Fravor, who was a former commanding officer in the United States Navy, and David Grush, a former military intelligence officer turned whistleblower who told House lawmakers that Congress is being kept in the dark about unidentified anomalous phenomena known as UAPs or UFOs more commonly alleging at that hearing that executive branch agencies have withheld information about the mysterious objects for years. It is David Grush that has really stirred the current interest in UFOs and his interviews with Tucker Carlson and Tom Rogan. Grush served for 14 years as an intelligence officer in the Air Force and National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. He also served as a representative on two Pentagon task forces investigating UAPs until earlier this year. He told lawmakers that he was informed of a multi-decade UAP crash retrieval and reverse engineering program during the course of his work examining classified programs. He then said he was denied access to those programs and accused the military of misappropriating funds to shield these operations from congressional oversight. He later said he had interviewed officials who had direct knowledge of aircraft with non-human origins and that so-called biologics were recovered from some of the craft. Let's take a listen to some of his responses to questions from Congresswoman Mace at that hearing. If you believe we have crashed craft, uh, stated earlier, do we have the bodies of the pilots who piloted this craft? As I've stated publicly already in my News Nation interview, uh, biologics came with some of these recoveries. Yeah. Were they, I guess, human or non-human biologics? Non-human, and that was the assessment of people uh, with direct knowledge on the program I talked to that are currently still on the program. The hearing took place amid growing willingness by lawmakers to demand that the military and intelligence agencies release more about what they know regarding the mysterious incidents, with many members of Congress citing the potential national security threat posed by unknown objects in or near U.S. airspace. And this was really highlighted by the testimony or opening statement by Fravor, who recounted his 2004 encounter with an object off the California coast. Let's have a listen to what he said. As you know, my name is David Fravor. I'm a retired commander in the United States Navy. In 2004, I was a commanding officer of Strike Fighter Squadron 41, the world-famous Black Aces. 
We were attached to Carrier Wing 11 stationed on board the USS Nimitz and had begun a two-month workup cycle off the coast of California. On this day, we were scheduled for a 2v2 air-to-air training with the USS Princeton as our control. When we launched off Nimitz, my wingman was joining up. We were told that the training was going to be suspended and we were going to proceed with real-world tasking. As we proceeded to the west, the air controller was counting down the range to an object that we were going to, and we were unaware of what we were going to see when we arrived. There, uh, the controller told us that these objects uh, had been observed for over two weeks, coming down from over 80,000 feet, rapidly descending to 20,000 feet, hanging out for hours, and then going straight back up, for those who don't realize, above 80,000 feet is space. We arrived at the location at approximately 20,000 feet in a controller called Merge Plot, which means that our radar blip was now in the same resolution cell as the contact. As we looked around, we noticed that we saw some white water off our right side. It's important to note that the weather on this day was as close to perfect as you could ask for off the coast of San Diego. Clear skies, light winds, calm seas, no white caps from waves. So the white water stood out in a large blue ocean. All four of us, because we were an F-18F, so we had pilots and Wizzo in the back seat, looked down a small, saw a white tic-tac object with a longitudinal axis pointing north-south and moving very abruptly over the water like a ping-pong ball. There were no rotors, no rotor wash, or any sign of visible control surfaces like wings. As we started clockwise towards the object, my wizard and I decided to go down and take a closer look with the other aircraft staying in high cover to observe both us and the tic-tac. We proceeded around the circle about 90 degrees from the start of our descent, and the object, object suddenly shifted its longitudinal axis, aligned it with my aircraft, and began to climb. We continued down another 270 degrees, nose low, where the tic-tac, or we considered 270 degrees, to where the, and we went nose low to where the tic-tac would have been. Our altitude at this point was about 15,000 feet, and the tic-tac was about 12,000. As we pulled nose onto the object within about a half mile of it, it rapidly accelerated in front of us and disappeared. Our wingmen, roughly 8,000 feet above us, lost contact also. We immediately turned back to see where the white water was at, and it was gone also. So as we started to turn back towards the east, the controller came up and said, sir, you're not going to believe this, but that thing is at your cat point roughly 60 miles away in less than a minute. You can calculate the speed. We returned to Nimitz. We were taking off our gear. We were talking to one of my crews that was getting ready to launch. We mentioned it to them, and they went out and luckily got the video that you see, that 90-second video. What you don't see is the radar tape that was never released, and we don't know where it's at, of the active jamming that the object put on an APG-73 radar, and I can get into modes later if you're interested. What is shocking to us is that the incident was never investigated. None of my crew were ever questioned. Tapes were never taken. And after a couple of days, it turned into a great story with friends. Fravor went on to say that what he experienced was well beyond the material science and capabilities that they had at that time, that we currently have now, or even what we're going to have in the next 10 to 20 years. Then there was Ryan Graves. He was an F-18 pilot stationed in Virginia Beach back in 2014 when his squadron first began detecting unknown objects. He described them as dark gray or black cubes inside of a clear sphere where the apex or tips of the cubes were touching the inside of that sphere. He said that a fellow pilot told him about one incident about 10 miles off the coast. Let's take a listen to that. In 2014, I was an F-18 Foxtrot pilot in the Navy Fighter Attack Squadron 11, the Red Rippers. And I was stationed at NAS Oceana in Virginia Beach. After upgrades were made to our jet's radar systems, we began detecting unknown objects operating in our airspace. At first, we assumed they were radar errors. But soon, we began to correlate the radar tracks with multiple onboard sensors, including infrared systems, eventually through visual ID. During a training mission in Warning Area Whiskey 72, 10 miles off the coast of Virginia Beach, two F-18 Super Hornets were split by a UAP. The object, described as a dark gray or a black cube inside of a clear sphere, 
came within 50 feet of the lead aircraft and was estimated to be 5 to 15 feet in diameter. The mission commander terminated the flight immediately and returned base. Our squadron submitted a safety report, but there was no official acknowledgement of the incident and no further mechanism to report the sightings. Soon, these encounters became so frequent that aircrew would discuss the risk of UAP as part of their regular pre-flight briefs. He went on to state that if UAPs are foreign drones, it is an urgent national security problem. If it is something else, it's an issue for science. In either case, unidentified objects are a concern for flight safety, and the American people deserve to know what is happening in our skies. It is long overdue. Lawmakers from both the Republican and Democrat parties expressed anger about their inability to get information about UAPs from the military and intelligence agencies, describing a system of overclassification that shields reports of incidents from public view. Tucker Carlson, conservative commentator, recently came out with an interview with David Grush, stating that he was scared to even talk about UFOs and he knew things that he was too scared to even tell his wife about. The Royal Australian Air Force Chief says that Australia has no plans to follow the Pentagon by formally investigating UFOs, insisting that Australian pilots have not reported any recent sightings of unexplained objects in the sky. I would love to hear from anybody serving in the Royal Australian Air Force or any of the branches of the the Australian military. Have we actually seen things down there that are just not being reported due to the stigma that maybe is surrounded into reporting UFOs and unexplained objects? So UFO sightings are not new. In fact, you can go all the way back to 1450 BC in ancient Egypt. And there are stories there of a star coming down to set fire to adversaries and winning war with help from the people above. There are many stories throughout the Roman Empire of ships in the sky, chariots hurtling through the clouds, aerial battles being fought out by large triangular objects. In 1883, the astronomer Jose Bonilla, he counted over 400 dark unidentified objects crossing the sun while observing sunspot activity at the Zacatecas Observatory in Mexico. It is the 20th century, however, where reported sightings and interactions have really exploded. In August 1909, moving and whirring lights were reported in the city around Otago. In the following months, many sightings were reported all across New Zealand with varying descriptions of the craft and crew. During the Second World War, Allied fighter pilots above Europe reported colourful balls of light following their aircraft at high speeds. In 1945, a local rancher and children claimed to see an egg-shaped or avocado-shaped craft crash in the New Mexico desert. It was claimed that there were occupants seen inside the craft and that later authorities arrived and loaded it onto a trailer. In 1954, Fiorentina in Italy, a football game between the local team was underway at the Stadio Artemio Franchi when a group of UFOs travelling at high speed abruptly stopped over the stadium. The stadium became silent as a crowd of around 10,000 spectators witnessed the event and described the UFOs as cigar-shaped. In 1957, Brazilian law student Antonio Villas Boas described being abducted by humanoid aliens and taken aboard their egg-shaped craft. He also said that he was confined within a small room where he was compelled to have sex with a four-foot-tall alien woman. In 1974, musician John Lennon and then assistant May Pang reported seeing a craft emitting lights that changed colour in the night sky above their Manhattan penthouse. Lennon would later reference this experience in his song, Nobody Told Me. Then we come to one of Australia's strange occurrences, and it was in 1978, and it happened in Victoria. Frederick Valentich, he left Moorabbin Airport in a Cessna 182 Skylane with a single-engine light aircraft he left at 7.06pm, and he began reporting strange craft to Melbourne Air Traffic Control. 
Let's take a listen to the radio transmission of that disappearance. This is Delta Sierra Juliet. Is there any known traffic below 5,000 feet? No known traffic. Seems to be a large aircraft below 5,000 feet. What type of aircraft is it? I cannot confirm. It's four bright, seems to me like landing lights. The aircraft has just passed over me at at least 1,000 feet above. Is there any Air Force aircraft in the vicinity? No known aircraft in the vicinity. Seems to be playing some sort of game. He's flying over me. Delta Sierra Juliet, it's not an aircraft, it's... Can you describe the, uh, the aircraft? As it's flying past, it's a long shape. Cannot identify it, it has such speed. It's before me right now, Melbourne. How large would the, um, the object be? Seems like it's stationary. What it's doing right now is orbiting. The thing is just orbiting on top of me. It's also got a green light and a sort of metallic-like... It's shiny on the outside. It's just vanished. That strange aircraft's hovering on top of me again. It's hovering and it's not an aircraft. Now, as you heard, one of the last things that Valentich said before he was never heard from again was, it's not an aircraft. Ufologists have speculated that extraterrestrials either destroyed Valentich's aircraft or abducted him, asserting that some individuals reported seeing an erratically moving green light in the sky and that he was in a steep dive at the time. Ufologists believe these accounts are significant because of the green light mentioned in the radio transmissions. There were investigations conducted by the Australian government. There were several reasons, I guess, that were given for it. One was that it was actually proposed that Valentich staged his own disappearance. Even taking into account the trip that was only 30 to 45 minutes to Cape Otway, the Cessna still had enough fuel to fly at least another 800 kilometers. Another proposed explanation is that he became disorientated and was actually flying upside down, and the lights that he was talking about were those reflecting off the water. Following on from his disappearance in 1978, the region was then given the name the Bass Strait Triangle, more than likely inspired by the Bermuda Triangle. Now, one of the more famous incidences in Australia, it occurred in August of 1993. And in fact, this one became so famous that it was made into an episode of The X-Files with Mulder and Scully. Kelly Cahill, she was driving home from a friend's house in the foothills of the Dandenongs when she saw what looked like a blimp with circular orange headlights hovering over the road ahead. What happened next, she would later recall, involved skinny aliens abducting her and leaving a small triangle mark burned into the skin around her navel. Several weeks after the incident, she then recalled more details about the night, including getting out of the car and being abducted. After getting out of the car to see the strange light in the field, she said she saw two other cars also stop to investigate what she believes was a UFO. She remembers seeing a number of tall, skinny black figures with bulging red eyes appear in front of the UFO and approach them. She started screaming. She was terrified. She thought she was going to die. Now, what UFO researchers find compelling about this case is the presence of independent witnesses. According to interviews with Cahill, strangers in two other cars that pulled up besides them, they got to see the UFO and they also carried similar wounds. It's believed three people in another car that say that they saw the same UFO, creating images of the aircraft that they saw which looked similar to Ms. Cahill's sketches. These witnesses were contacted by UFO researchers and recalled under hypnosis being taken aboard some kind of object and reported similar markings on their body 
near their navel. Australia has another very famous UFO case, and it happened in 1988, and it's the experience of Faye Knowles and her three sons and their two dogs, and it's one of the most significant close encounter testimonies ever. Also reportedly involving several witnesses, the story goes involves the family witnessing an egg-like bright structure. They then went on high-speed car chase against the object, Climaxing with the family's car being lifted from the road as weird black dust, high-pitched sound and a horrible smell overwhelmed the car. Now, America is very famous for its Area 51 and Roswell, but did you know Australia also has its own UFO capital? And it is the tiny town of Wycliffe Well out in the Northern Territory. Wycliffe Well has been a hotspot for UFO sightings for many decades. There was a roadhouse that was set up out there and they were trying to capitalize on the notoriety of being a spot for UFO sightings. It's decorated with statues and murals of aliens and spacecraft of all shapes and sizes. The walls inside the roadhouse are lined with thousands of newspaper articles all about the many UFO sightings that allegedly still continue on the site. Another thought behind the UFO sightings, though, is that the U.S. military intelligence base Pine Gap is actually located nearby. And who knows what the U.S. military is doing right in the middle of Australia. The other theory is that there is a lot of unidentified objects that are attracted to Wycliffe because of its cosmic alignment of landforms, tectonic plates, and man-made structures, which will emit a type of UFO-friendly energy. It's a great place for a stopover if you're driving around near Alice Springs in the middle of nowhere in the great Aussie outback. So before we move on to the US and talk about some of the biggest sightings here, I did want to mention the Hay Plains in Western New South Wales. It's about a seven to eight hour drive west from Sydney, and it is an area known as the flattest place in the Southern Hemisphere. It only has a rise of a mere 17 metres from the highest to the lowest point, and it makes a unique landscape well traversing the edge of the outback. I've driven the plains on many occasions, typically at night or early in the morning, and have on several occasions observed light formations that I find very hard to explain. Lights that appear on the horizon and rise slowly to jet off to the left or right faster than any aircraft could ever travel. Lights in formation that seem to dance and then disappear as quickly as they appeared. It is well known to locals that you see strange things on the hay plains. Now, obviously, there's a bunch of emus out there. Now, that's one strange thing that you'll see, emus, kangaroos. But it's those lights in the sky with no explanation at all. That leads me to think that the aliens are having a little bit of fun in western New South Wales. In the mid-1990s, I was working as an apprentice chef at a restaurant on the south coast of New South Wales. It's about two hours south from Sydney, and the restaurant was located at a spiritual retreat and quite a secluded location surrounded by nature. It was a, you know, a beautiful restaurant actually inside a train carriage. One night, I was taking a break from cooking, and I was out the back on the back deck having a cigarette. I looked up above me, and there were brilliant bright lights above the trees above my head. Now, remembering that I'm in a very secluded location, and I'm surrounded by nature, there's trees, huge eucalyptus trees everywhere. But here are these bright lights right above me. It's something that I can recall as if it just happened yesterday. In this town, there's a naval air base. So naval helicopters are based there, but this was no helicopter. There's no way that it, that it could have been. It was stationary. The lights were bright enough that they could be the high beam of a car, and they were pointing directly down, basically to where I was standing, filtered through from the through the trees. It stayed motionless for several minutes as I watched it, only to then go and disappear. If you've got stories of potential encounters with otherworldly things, I would love to hear that as well. Email addresses in the show notes. Here in America, we have Area 51. It's something that spawned more conspiracy theories than perhaps any other military facility in the world. So what is it? 
Area 51 is a U.S. Air Force military installation. It's located at Groom Lake in southern Nevada. It's an active military installation and it's administrated by the Edwards Air Force Base in Southern California. It's a facility that is not accessible to the public and it is under 24-hour surveillance. The only confirmed use of the installation is a flight testing facility. The site is known as Area 51 because it was designated that on maps created by the Atomic Energy Commission. Now, during the Second World War, the U.S. Army Air Corps used the site as an aerial gunnery range, and in 1955, it was selected by the CIA as a testing site for the U-2 aircraft. Once the the U-2 was put into service in 1956, Area 51 was used to develop other aircraft, including the A-12 reconnaissance plane and the stealth fighter F-117 Nighthawk. In 1989, a man named Robert Lazar claimed he worked on extraterrestrial technology inside Area 51. Lazar told Las Vegas television reporters that he saw autopsy photos of aliens inside the facility and that the U.S. government used the facility to examine recovered alien spacecraft. Although Lazar himself was discredited, his claims spawned numerous government conspiracy theories, most of which involved extraterrestrial life. Now, the U.S. government has recently come out and stated that they are tracking more than 650 potential cases of so-called unidentified aerial phenomena. There have been thousands of UFO sightings in the U.S., but let's take a quick look at some of the more famous ones. And starting in 2001, there were the lights above the New Jersey Turnpike. It takes a lot for motorists to stop alongside a highway to look toward the sky, but on the 14th of July 2001, drivers on the New Jersey Turnpike did just that. For around 15 minutes just after midnight, they marveled at the sight of a strange orange and yellow light in a V formation over the Arthur Kill waterway between Staten Island, New York and Carteret, New Jersey. In 2006 at O'Hare International Airport in Chicago, Flight 446 was getting ready to fly to North Carolina when a United Airlines employee on the tarmac noticed a dark grey metallic craft hovering over gate C-17. That day, a total of 12 United employees and a few witnesses outside the airport spotted the saucer-shaped craft around 4.15pm. Witnesses say it hovered for about five minutes before shooting upward where it broke a hole in the clouds, enough that pilots and mechanics could see the blue sky. In 2008, there were the Stephenville sightings that happened in a small town in Texas, about 100 miles southwest of Dallas. It is an area that's mostly known for dairy farms, but on that night, dozens of its residents viewed something unique in the sky. Citizens reported seeing white lights above Highway 67, first in a single horizontal arc and then in vertical parallel lines, traveling at about 3,000 miles per hour. These are just a small fraction of the incidences that are reported, not to mention the ones that then also involve abduction and all kinds of weird experiments. But I did want to have a look at Roswell, first of all, before we wrap it up. And Roswell, it refers to an incident that goes back to July of 1947 and the recovery of metallic and rubber debris from a crashed military balloon by Roswell Army Airfield personnel, who then issued a press release announcing possession of a flying disc. Decades later, conspiracy theories claim that debris from an alien spaceship had been covered up by the government. Today, many people continue to believe that the government and the military are covering up the truth about alien landings at and around the New Mexico town. So in conclusion, the question has to be asked, are we alone? I'll let David Grush answer that one. Are we alone? Well, the answer is we're not alone. And I know that with... 100% certainty, which as an intel officer, you never say 100%, but all things pointed towards 
based on the people I talk to, like Harry Reid, and I use him as an example, but I talk to the highest of the high people you could possibly talk to to catch my drift. So mm-hmm. unless all of them are lying and they're covering up something else, which I don't even know what it would be at this point, because the phenomenon is real. It's been going on for thousands of years. People have been seeing strange things and not everybody's mass hallucinating. Arthur C. Clarke was an English science fiction writer. He co-wrote the screenplay for the 1968 film 2001 A Space Odyssey. In closing, I'd like to quote him, Two possibilities exist. Either we are alone in the universe or we are not. Both are equally terrifying. We'll catch you next time on Down Under to Down South.